You are listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Out of the funnies into your homes, and we hope your hearts too, the makers of Camel Cigarettes bring you Blondie. Before we drop over to the Bumstead house to visit Chick Young's famous characters, Blondie and Dagwood, a word from the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Now, one of the things that makes Camel Cigarettes so different is that Camel's costlier tobaccos are slower burning. Recent scientific tests confirm it. But you don't need a stopwatch to tell you that Camel's are slower burning. You've got a better way of knowing. You'll find that Camel's are cooler, milder. Better tasting, too, because that slow-burning feature of Camel's lets the flavor and fragrant aroma come through to you. Your throat, too, will appreciate the gentleness of slow-burning Camel's. And, of course, a cigarette that burns slower is going to give you more actual smoking. By burning 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, slower than any of them, Camel's give a smoking plus equal to five extra smokes per pack. So for extra smoking and extra pleasure, smoke the slow-burning cigarette of costlier tobaccos, Camel. And now we're ready for our weekly date with the Bumsteads. This time we find Dagwood with his employer, J.C. Dithers, standing in the living room of a newly completed bungalow. Listen. Well, Bumstead, is this a typical Dithers dream home, or, or isn't it? Oh, oh, sure, sure. Does that fireplace look like the kind where a young couple could sit gazing at flickering flames, mm -hmm. or, or not? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, why, that's our regular uh, number 413. 413A, Bumstead. Oh. The hearth of a lifelong honeymoon, $12.85 extra. Oh. oh and what yeah. about the furniture, Bumstead? It's okay. You mean it breathes contentment, don't you? If it doesn't, that decorator overcharge me. Hmm. Are you going to furnish all the houses you build now, Mr. Dithers? Not by a long shot, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I was crazy to furnish this one. Uh, yes, sir. Why? I mean, uh, why did you furnish this one? To please Lockenvar Stipple. Huh? Stipple is an old bachelor with a barrel of money and a lot of romantic ideas about marriage and love in a cottage. He keeps talking about lamplit windows in an ideal home for two. Uh -huh. So he wants to play Cupid. By providing dream homes for honeymoon couples, easy terms, and no down payment. Oh. If he can just put the right people in the right houses. Yeah? Claims he doesn't want to make a cent. Gosh, I wish I'd met him when I first married Blondie. If you'd waited for him to provide a home, you'd be living on a vacant lot today, Bumstead. Yeah, why? Oh, because he can't seem to find a place that lives up to his ideas. I started showing him new houses, and he said they all looked too empty. Then I furnished this one, uh -huh. and he still didn't like it. He seems to expect to find his honeymooners all moved in and holding hands in front of the fire. <laughs> Say, that's a good idea. You know what Eddie Guest said? <clears throat> it takes a heap of living in a house to make it home. Why don't you furnish some people, too? Well, Bumstead, I'm glad you mentioned that. I had the same idea. You did? Yeah. Oh. Only I'm not going to turn this new furniture over to strangers. I want someone I can hold responsible. Oh, sure. Responsible people is what you want. Uh, don't get anyone who would come in and start throwing parties for their friends and relatives. Uh, get someone who would kind of move in and then relax. Well, Bumstead, huh? you relax easier than any man I've ever met. Yeah. Uh -huh. How about you and Blondie moving in here for a while? Oh, no, Mr. Dennis. It's a nice place, but uh, all this new furniture and all. Why, you two could make believe you were just starting on your honeymoon. Well... Who would we make believe Baby Dumpling was? Huh? Oh. Well, you could leave Baby Dumpling with the Fuddles. 
Get a complete change. I don't know. Uh, Blondie and I are kind of used to baby dumpling now, and, and Daisy the dog would miss it. Oh, it's... nonsense. Look, I'd make it worth your while, Bumstead. No, uh, look. Oh, I got a better idea, Mr. Dithers. I know some real honeymooners, and nice steady people, too. Blondie's Aunt Bessie and her husband, Mr. Sneevel. Huh? They don't sound very romantic to me. Stipple wants romance. Oh, you ought to see them. Like kids. Blondie and I brought them together, and I bet they'd be glad to do us a favor. But I wanted to settle the deal with Stipple this weekend. If I can do that, I can sell him a lot of homes, and besides uh, that... I could wire... Hmm. Well, it's against my better judgment, Bumstead. Uh-huh. Anytime I leave anything to you, something goes sour. Uh-huh. But I'll settle for Aunt Bessie and Weevil if... Uh, Sneevel. If... Huh? Oh, what's the difference? I'll settle for them on one condition. You and Blondie come in here first. Let Blondie sort of warm the place up. She has a knack around the house. Then if her Aunt Bessie doesn't come, you two will have to go through with the romantic stuff for Stipple. Well, I'll ask Blondie, and if she's game, <laughs> I am. Then it's a deal, Bumstead. Now, when I bring Stipple, be sure there's a fire in the grate and soft lamps glowing all over the place. Okay. Remember, he's strong on lighted windows. <laughs> trunk. Hold that door open until I get in here. But Dagwood, we won't need a trunk, will we? Goodness, we may not even stay overnight if Aunt Bessie and Gideon get here in time. And if we did need anything extra to wear, we could run over to the house for it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I brought over some knickknacks. Knickknacks? Yeah, it's stuff to scatter around. Make the place homey, you know? Oh, Dagwood, there are too many things in this house now. I've been changing the furniture around and putting things away all afternoon. Well, just let the trunk stand in the hallway there for now. Uh-huh. Say, it's pretty dark in here. Why don't you light up the lamps, huh? Uh, Dithers says Mr. Stipple is strong on lots of warm lights and stuff. Then Mr. Dithers should have thought to have had the electricity turned on. Isn't it on? No, Dagwood. No electricity, gas, or phone. No heat yet. No? Except the fireplace. Yeah, that isn't burning up very well, is it? No. The wood's sort of green, I think. It smokes. I don't think this is going to be what Dithers wants Mr. Stipple to see. Well, we'll do the best we can. I ran over to the neighbors and phoned everybody to turn everything on, and they said they would. Uh Uh-huh. But they didn't say just when. Yeah. Say... I smell kerosene. Oh, it's this oil lantern I borrowed. It smokes, too. It doesn't give out much light, either. Oh, dear. I did want the place to look cozy for Mr. Stipple. You know, Dagwood, Mm. I think his idea is lovely. Furnishing little honeymoon places for people. Well, maybe the lights will come on before he gets here, and the firewood may dry out and burn. Say, when are Aunt Bessie and and Gideon due? Any minute, I think. I got a funny wire from her. It said... Hey, what's that? Oh, the front door. Yeah? I wonder if... Oh, oh, it's Aunt Bessie. Was that you, Blondie Bumstead? Oh, of course. Oh, I'm so glad to see you, Aunt Bessie. Here, Dagwood, help her with her bag. Come right in. Hello, Aunt Bessie. Oh, I'd like to have gone right on by. What, with no lights or anything? What's the matter with the lights? They'll be turned on soon. Uh, Look out for that trunk. Here, Dagwood, put her bag by the trunk. Uh, Just for now. Come on in, dear. 
Gosh, five bags. <laughs> and it looks like you've uh, you've left home for good, Aunt Bessie. And so I have, too. <laughs> huh? What? I say, and so I have left home. Not that I'd call that ugly big barn of a house home. It was bad enough when I was lived with my family, and they used to sit around like it was awake, waiting for Gideon Sneevel to come and claim me. Thirteen years I waited, as you well know, Blondie. And if I'd have known what was in store for me, I'd have waited till doomsday before I'd have trusted my life to that man. You mean Uncle Gideon? That's who I married, ain't it? For better or worse, I took him. And how was I to know how much worse it would turn out to be? Oh, dear, you, you've quarreled with Mr. Sneevel. Well, I thought you had just come back from your honeymoon. And so we had. But when a man deserts his bride, the honeymoon is over. Uncle Gideon deserted you? Well, he's off on another trip. Packed up his samples of anchors and lit out. And good riddance to rubbish, too. Oh, well, maybe it's just a business trip. I don't care what it is. He won't find me waiting when he gets back. Oh, I was mighty glad to get your wire inviting me here. Uh, yeah, but we kind of wanted you and Uncle Gideon both. Well, of course, if I'm not welcome. Oh, now, Aunt Bessie, Dagwood doesn't mean that at all. Well... It was just that we thought you and Uncle Gideon both being here would make this a real honeymoon cottage. Oh, dear. What, what made Uncle Gideon leave home? Well, he laid it to Horace and Sylvester. You know, Aunt Gracie's boys. Oh, oh, yes. Where did he meet them? They dropped past the house for a little visit. And at first, Butter wouldn't melt in Gideon's mouth. He was that polite. The boys took to him so well, they decided to say it, Bill. You mean they moved in with you? Well, it ain't as if it was a small house. There's eight bedrooms in that place of Sneevel's. And that I pointed out to him when he began his grumbling. But he says to me, Why can't Sylvester sleep in a bedroom, then, instead of my favorite chair, he says. Oh, I see. What else did Sylvester do? Not a blessed thing. I guess that's why Sneevel didn't take so kindly to him after a while. Sylvester does a lot of thinking, and he can't do it so good unless he's lying down. Hmm. What does he think about? Oh, about what he's going to be in life. He says it's a serious thing to pick out a career. Hmm. He's been thinking about it ever since he was 21, and he can't make up his mind yet. That's quite a long while, Aunt Bessie. Well, Sylvester's just turned 45. He certainly gave it careful consideration. Poor boy. He's all wore out from the thinking and the worrying. Oh, and that Sneevel never would let him be. Why, when Sneevel went off to work mornings, he'd complain that Sylvester was a-snoring on the living room couch. And when he'd come home to lunch, he'd make him get up and come to the table. And when he'd come home at night, he'd complain that Sylvester was taking his afternoon nap in his chair. Never give the boy a minute's peace. Well, maybe if Sylvester had shown a little more energy... Don't you believe it? Horace had energy and to spare... And Sneevel got mad at Horace, too. What did Horace do? Just tried to be helpful, is all. He fixed Gideon's car for him. At least he uh, tried to. What went wrong? Well, seems like the gears on the car was making a noise, so Horace up and took him out and put it round and put him back. Uh -huh. Worked like a beaver on it. Yes? But Gideon Sneevel complained that when he was through, the car wouldn't run no way but backwards. Oh. No? He backed it out, and it backed around the block, and it backed back into the garage, and his language was a caution to hear. That's why he packed up and lit out on a train. Oh, gosh, that's too bad. Well, 
You can stay here tonight, Aunt Bessie, anyway, and uh, then go visit your own folks a while, huh? Oh, and let them say to my face that after waiting for a man for 13 years, I up and made a fizzle of my marriage, I'll die before I ever go home. Well, don't worry about it tonight, Aunt Bessie. You can stay here and rest. For a while she can, but this isn't our house, Blondie. It's Mr. Dithers and... Uh... Please, Dagwood, not now. Oh, let him go on. I know I ain't wanted. Here, nowhere. Now, Aunt Bessie. Oh, family couldn't wait to get me off the hands. Gideon as much as turned me out of doors. And now you didn't about my going before I even took off my hair. Well, Aunt Bessie. Nobody wants a lone woman. That's how it is. Now, now that isn't true a bit. You come on upstairs with me and lie down. Just a burden to one and all. That's my end. Oh, no, no. You're welcome with us, Aunt Bessie. Of course you are. Come on now. Would you like a nice cup of tea? Oh, don't. Don't no trouble for me. Oh, it won't take a minute to make. Yeah, not after the gas gets turned on. No gas. Oh, please, Aunt Bessie, please. Come on upstairs and lie down. My goodness, you're all upset. Yeah, your relatives. Oh, golly. I hope that isn't Dithers. Who is that? Uh, wait till I turn up the lantern. Who's it, huh? Where is she? Uh, who? Why, it's Uncle Gideon. Shh. Where's Bessie? Now, don't tell me she ain't here, Bumstead. I found this on the doorstep. A birdcage? With her lovebirds in it. Of course, she left the parrot for me to feed. I, I guess I forgot to bring that cage in with her bag. What huh? is all this stuff in the hall? Oh, a trunk and stuff. Come on in, Mr. Sneagle. What's the matter with the lights? Uh, they're going to turn them on pretty soon, I think. I don't like the looks of this, Bumstead. Now, what have you done with Bessie? I haven't done anything with her. She just went upstairs with Blondie. She's pretty mad at you. Well, I've come to have it out with her once and for all. A pretty kettle of fish this is. Where'll I put this anchor? Anchor? Oh. Uh, one of your samples. Certainly it's a sample. I brought it to prove it was a business trip I was on. Oh, well, let's see. Oh, put it here in the hall with the other stuff. Now, that must be pretty heavy to lug around. Not as heavy as my heart, Bumpstead. There I was, a happy married man, when a snake crept into my Eden. Two snakes, Sylvester and Horace. Dagwood, what's going on down there? Oh, shh, don't say I'm here yet. I want to confront Bessie. Uh, what good will that do? Maybe if I take her by surprise, I can get in a word or two before she starts talking. Well, she was crying when she went upstairs. Oh, she always does that when she runs out of talk. She knows I can't stand it. Dagwood, oh. why don't you answer me? Maybe he can't speak. He's unconscious down there in the dark. Oh, I felt it in the bones. Something was going to happen. She got her voice back. Yeah. You, you sure you want to stay? They'll be down in a minute. Well, I'll just stand back here in the shadows, back of the couch. Okay. Dagwood Plumstead, who was that at the door? Why, what, what's this anchor doing here? Uh, just lying there. An anchor? Oh, that means Nebo. He's followed me. Don't let him take me, Blondie. Now, Aunt Bessie, maybe he's come to make up with you. Then he's wasting time. I give him the best years of my life. Oh, is that so? <gasps> there he is. Eavesdropping. Now, Bessie, listen. Lurking in the shadows. Sure. Stop, lurk, and listen. That's my motto. <laughs> oh, now let's be sensible. Don't come no nearer, Gideon Sneevel. Oh, stop him, Blondie. Now, Aunt Bessie, no one's going to harm you. Why not listen and hear why Mr. Sneevel's come here? Sure, Aunt Bessie, be reasonable. Oh, I'm unreasonable, am I? Because I won't listen to his smooth tongue. Well, let me tell you that I've been listening for years, and I believed him, too. I was just fool enough to think he meant it when he said he'd give me a good home. I did give you a good home, but I didn't promise a home for your whole family, especially Sylvester and Horace, those termites. Don't make it any worse. 
I curse him, Gideon Snavel. Isn't there any way of patching this up? Yeah, if those fellas would leave. Leave? Uh-huh. Sylvester wouldn't get off that couch if the house was on fire. I tried it. Yes, he frightened me out of my wits one morning, hollering fire. Oh. Yes, and all Sylvester said was, which room? And I said the kitchen was in flames. And Sylvester said, well, when it gets close to here, call Horace and ask him to carry me out. Oh, I won't sit here and listen to no more lies. I'll go. Out into the night again. Now, Aunt Betty... No, she won't have to go. I'll go. Hand me that anchor and those lovebirds. Don't lay so much as a finger on those birds. They're mine. Now, Uncle Gideon, give Aunt Bessie the birds. Dagwood, Uh, you keep out of this. Who paid for those birds, I'd like to know. There he goes, throwing his money in my face. Oh, where's my hat? It's upstairs, Aunt Bessie. Let me be, Blondie. This is what I get for marrying beneath me. I was too young to know what I was doing. You mean you was too old to care? Not go up there, Blondie. I've got you, Dagwood, and keep them quiet. Goodness, that may be Mr. Dizzard's at the door. Oh, no. I hope not. Oh, Sam. It is. Oh, welcome to Honeymoon Cottage. What was all that yelling I heard? The honeymooners. What? It's Aunt Bessie and Uncle Gideon. They had a little misunderstanding. Now, listen to me, Bumstead. Oh, my foot. What the, what's that I fell over? Just an anchor. An anchor? Uh-huh. Well, what's that doing in the hall? What's this trunk here for and all this luggage? Why don't you turn on some lights? Well, uh, they'll be on any minute now, uh, I think. I distinctly told you, Bumstead, that Stepper wanted warm, soft light streaming from the windows. I and I find the house dark as a smuggler's cave. I told you like romance. And I find the hall full of luggage as if someone was being evicted. Uh-oh. I said Stipple wanted to see a happy couple sitting in contentment before their own fireside. Uh-huh. And I find the place full of your relatives making the night hideous with their uproar. Oh, they'll quiet down. Ah! Oh, listen to that. Now get those people out of here, Bumstead, before I turn in a riot call. Yes, sir, but let me explain. You can explain that in the morning. Stipple's coming tonight. And it'll look fishy if I'm here or try to head him off. He'll be here any minute, and if he stumbles into this shambles, it'll cure him of romance forever and lose me a good customer and cause you a bad headache, Bumstead. I got a little headache now. Well, you practice getting used to that one, Bumstead, because unless you get me out of this quicker than you got me into it, you're going to be a stretcher case. Hey, wait. Oh, golly. Hey. Thousands of smokers have switched to Camel cigarettes and found extra mildness, coolness, and finer flavors in Camel's slower-burning, costlier tobaccos. But Camel's also give you a generous bonus of extra smoking per pack. By burning 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, slower than any of them, Camel's give a smoking plus equal to five extra smokes per pack. Smokers who live in communities where certain state cigarette taxes are in effect can save the cost of the tax, and in some instances more, through smoking camels. If you live in a community where there are no added taxes on cigarettes, the savings are all yours. So turn to camels. Your sense of taste, 
Your sense of value will quickly tell you that penny for penny, camels are your best cigarette buy. Blondie! Blondie! Uh, hurry up, will you? Yes, dear, here I am. Oh, did Mr. Dithers go so he, soon? He didn't go any too soon for me. He was pretty mad, Blondie. He said Mr. Stipple would just be rambling onto a stumble, uh, stumbling onto a, 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 oh, something like that. Oh, dear. Did he hear Bessie and Gideon? Oh, how could he help it? What was that crash? Who threw what at who? Oh, that wasn't anything. I just dropped a bottle of cologne I was bathing Aunt Bessie's forehead with. Oh. She has a bad headache. You mean she is a headache? Now, Dagwood. It's just that they're getting adjusted to marriage after living alone so many years. I feel sorry for them both right now. Maybe I'd feel sorry for them if I had time. But Stipple will be here any minute looking for a romantic honeymoon couple sitting by the hearth. And we haven't got one. I know. And I feel responsible because it's my Aunt Bessie. Oh, oh, look, Dagwood. What? The little hall light's burning. The electricity must be on. Oh, turn it out. If Stipple sees a lot of lighted windows, he'll be here like a shot. He's crazy about it. Hey, who's that standing in the hall? Why, Uncle Gideon. Oh, eavesdropping again, huh? I, I'm afraid I was. Uh, do I understand that my uh, disagreement with Bessie has embarrassed you young people? I'll say. Dagwood? Well, it has. My whole job depends on it, maybe. And see, uh, there's a fella coming who thinks marriage is a fine thing. A bachelor, huh? Yeah, huh? Well, yes. But he has a lovely idea, Uncle Gideon. He wants to provide low-cost homes for couples where they can find peace and contentment. Little houses like this, just for two. Just for two? Mm -hmm. Good idea. My marriage might not be the wreck it is if I'd had a guest-proof home. Oh, if I could help in any way. Well, you could, uh, by being the example of a happy married couple. Uh, <laughs> only you need Aunt Bessie to... Then it's hopeless, my boy. Oh, is that so? Oh, and Bessie. why, may I ask? Aunt Bessie. You were listening, too. Yes, I was. And uh, if I were speaking to Mr. Sneeple, I would tell him that I was just as able to cooperate with my nephew as he is. Uh, did you hear that, Uncle Gideon? She said... I heard her. You may tell Mrs. Sneeple that I, for one, would be willing to impersonate a happily married man for the period of the emergency. Aunt Bessie, Uncle Gideon said... I heard him. I can hide my feelings, too, while the company's here. Oh, I think that's very nice of you both. Now, while I'm turning on the lamps, would you sit together over by the fire? Yeah, right over here. Come on. Look, Blondie, uh -huh. the fire's beginning to burn. Uh-huh. Everything's looking a little brighter, Dagwood. Now, uh, sit down, Aunt Bessie. Yeah. Now, uh, you sit next to Uncle Gideon. Uh, now, hmm. now, how does that look, Blondie? Well, um, it would look a little more honeymoony if they wouldn't sit up quite so straight. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, too much space between them. Get together, get together. Well, if you'll be good enough to tell Mrs. Sneevel that I don't want to force my attentions on her, I'll meet her halfway. Oh, uh, listen, Aunt Bessie, he says... I heard him. Uh, and huh? you tell Mr. Sneevel that he can just sit as close as he likes, and I'll just make out to myself I'm on a hayride with a stranger. Oh, no, Aunt Bessie. Pretend you're still in love. Don't be childish. Listen, that's him. That's Dipple now. It's, it's now or never, Aunt Bessie. Oh, please help us. Give Uncle Gideon your hand. For you, Blondie. There. Good. Now look happy. Yeah, uh, look at the fire and smile or something. I've got to open this door. Go ahead, Dagwood. Oh, <laughs> hello, Mr. Stipple. Uh, you're just in time. I mean... You, 
You know me? Uh, sure, Mr. Dithers said Oh, that... yes, such a kindly character, Mr. Dithers. Is that so? I mean, uh, sure. Uh, come right in. Oh, are you sure I won't be intruding into your happy circle? Oh, no, <laughs> indeed. We've heard so much about you. I feel as if you were an old friend already. Oh, you're very kind. Now I feel welcome. Oh, but I mustn't stay. It's enough that I have seen this happy home, been allowed for just a moment to cross its magic threshold, step into a world of contempt. Oh, don't run away so soon, then. Uh, why, you haven't seen the place yet. Uh, look, over over by the fire. Honeymoon. Ah. And they want to meet you. We all do. I'm Blondie, and this is my husband, Dagger Brunswick. And this is Aunt Bessie and Uncle Gideon Sneevel. Good evening. Please, I'm sure. How do you do? Now, won't you sit with us by the fire? Oh, I I mustn't disturb the happy couple. They were seeing castles in Spain in the embers, I'm sure, dreaming of their future together. Uh, well, I... Huh? Yes, maybe Mr. Stiffel is right and the rest of us wrong. I beg pardon? I mean, well, you've never had a home of your own, have you, Mr. Stiffel? <laughs> a real home, I mean, with a wife... No, I... I never have. But perhaps you know more about what a home means than people who do have one. You understand so well, little lady. Oh, Blondie's great at understanding people. Just the same, I I think it might be a good thing if Mr. Stipple told us what he thinks a home should be. Oh, well, I... Uh, it seems to me that a home need not be a large place. Uh, never any larger than just big enough to hold the people in it close together. Its walls shut out the world and its troubles... The fire on its hearth, no matter how tiny a blaze, keeps out the cold and warms the hearts around it. A real home is a place where a man and a woman face life together, face it unafraid, laughing at misunderstanding, inviting contentment, finding beauty in the simple act of living day by day. Oh, oh but I mustn't take up any more of your time. I think you've given us more than you've taken. Oh, but you all know better than I what I've been trying to say. You all have a home, while I, well, I just peer in at the lighted window and, and wish you happiness. Oh, dear me, it's quite late. I really must go. Ah, another wayfarer attracted by the gleam of your fire. Upstairs! <laughs> what makes it so quiet in here? Uh -huh. Why, Mr. Stipple was just telling Mr. us... Mr. Stipple? Well, 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 you got here, I see. I'm most happy to say that I did. I've met the most charming people. Ah? The Bumsteads, you mean? Oh, and their relatives, uh, Aunt Bessie and Uncle Gideon. Bumstead? Where are they? Uh, right over there. Uh, the ones holding hands. Those two? Uh-huh. By the fire? Perhaps yes. you're surprised to find a honeymoon couple who are not, uh, uh, young people. But they're all the happier to find each other later in life. It's not only for the young I want to build my little homes, Mr. Dithers. Oh, you've uh, decided to go ahead with your idea? Oh, yes, indeed. This house is what I've been looking for all along. Why, it's perfect. It's so snug, so peaceful. Peaceful. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, maybe if we're going to talk business, we ought to go over to the office. I was about to suggest it. Good night to you all, and I do thank you so much for a happy visit. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Oh, uh, Mr. Dithers, uh, before you go... Uh, tomorrow, Bumper said, don't you worry. I won't forget what you've done for me. Oh, I don't know how you did it. Well, I guess everything's all right, Dagwood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dithers sounded as pleased as he ever does. Hey, Aunt Bessie, Uncle Gideon, 
They've gone, Aunt Bessie. <laughs> but don't start yelling again, Aunt Bessie, uh, until Mr. Stipple is out of hearing. Oh, I, I don't feel much like yelling. That man made me, well, kind of ashamed. Me with a fine man like Gideon and, and treating him the way I have. Oh, now, Bessie, it was all my fault. Taking you into that big barn of a house and getting all excited because you had a few of your folks drop in. Suppose you moved to a small house, a cozy little place, like this. Oh, Gideon, could we? Could we? We have. From now on, we live here, Bessie. Well, Dagwood, looks as though it's our move next. Come on. Huh? The honeymooners want to be alone. Oh. Come, dear. We'll pick up our things in the morning. Good night, Bessie and Gideon. Oh, they don't even hear you, Blondie. No. <laughs> Look at them. It would do Stipple good to see them now. Yeah. Sitting in front of that fireplace. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice fireplace. <clears throat> That's our regular 413A. The hearth where happy hearts will spend a lifelong honeymoon. Blondie is played by Penny Singleton and Dagwood by Arthur Lake, whose new Columbia picture, Blondie Brings a Baby, will soon be released. So till next Monday, we leave the Bumsteads, Blondie and Dagwood. But the makers of Camel Cigarettes have other radio treats for you during the week. Tomorrow night over these same stations, you can listen to the music of Bob Crosby and the best Dixieland band in the land with Johnny Mercer and Helen Ward. And if you like swing, well, you'd better make a date with your radio for Saturday night when Benny Goodman and the world's greatest swing band with Mildred Bailey bring you another musical caravan. That's a tip for your radio pleasure. And for your smoking pleasure, let us suggest that you try camels. You'll find more pleasure per puff, more puffs per pack. This is Bill Goodwin speaking for the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Safety Council says if you don't have seatbelts, get them. If you do have seatbelts, use them. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows today from your favorite online bookstore. From the NBC Theater in Hollywood to all of you across America, a happy new year and great expectations by Charles Dickens, that is. In short, you are about to hear a special New Year's Day version of Dickens' Great Expectations. Adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy of NBC and played to the hilt by the British platoon of our NBC repertory company. On August 3rd, 1861, in London, a fever of excitement greeted the publishing of the final episode of Charles Dickens' latest serial. The public, from marchionesses to servant girls, all waited eagerly for the last chapter that would tie the complicated plot together and reveal the secrets which had intrigued the readers of the magazine all the year round since the first episode printed Christmas Day. 
The entire exciting book was then published as a novel, and the NBC Theater brings it to you now. Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. My father's family name being Pirrip, and my Christian name Philip, my infant tongue could make of both names nothing longer or more explicit than Pip. So, Pip I called myself, and Pip I was called by others. Ours was the marsh country, down by the river, and within twenty miles of the sea. I remember one afternoon when I was quite small. I stood in the bleak, damp churchyard. The fog had blown in from the ocean and billowed over the scattered graves. I stood shivering and just beginning to cry, for I realized that under the black, scarling stone lay my father, Philip, and my mother, Georgiana, and that the little stone lozenges that lay beside them were sacred to the memory of five little brothers of mine who had given up exceedingly early in the universal struggle for life. And then, suddenly, I stopped crying. Here, you. Keep still, you little devil, or I'll cut your throat. Oh, no, sir. Don't cut my throat, sir. Your name, boy. Quick. Pip, sir. What? Give it mouth. Pip. Pip, sir. Pip, eh? Show us where you live. Point out the place. Over there, sir. About a mile. You can't see it for the fog. Oh! Put me down, sir. Put me down. A boy thinks better upside down. Now then, where's your father? Right there. What? Where? Speak up. The stone, sir. The black one. That's my father. Oh. Who do you live with? Supposing I made up my mind to let you live. Who do you live with, eh? My sister, sir. Mrs. Joe Gargery, the wife of the blacksmith. Blacksmith, eh? You see this iron on me leg, boy? Yes, sir. Well, it's a powerful heavy weight to drag after me. Now, you know what a file is? Yes, sir. And food? Oh, yes, sir. I know. Oh, don't turn me over again, sir. Please. Well, you get me a file and you get me food and you bring them here or I'll have your heart and liver out. If you'd... Please to keep me upright, sir. Perhaps I shouldn't be sick and could attend more. All right, then. You bring me that file and that food tomorrow morning. And if you dare to say a word about it, your heart and liver shall be torn out and roasted and it. My liver, sir? And your heart. Now, you get home. Yes, sir. Good night, sir. Oh, good night, eh? Oh, I wish I was a frog or an eel. Well, what are you waiting for, boy? Be off! I ran across the marshes and home without stopping. Joe Gargery, the blacksmith, my brother-in-law, was waiting for me. Hear that, Pip? Mrs. Joe's been out a dozen times looking for you. And what's worse, she's got Tickler with her. She swore she'd wear that key knot on your bottom this time. Tickler. Ah, she made a grab for it and rampaged out. Here, there she is. Look out, Pip. Oh, no, you don't. I've got you. My arm. Where have you been, you young monkey? Oh, oh 
only been to the churchyard. If it wasn't for me, you'd been there long ago and stayed. Who brought you up by hand, eh? <laughs> you did. And have you got anything to say, Joe Gargery? Uh, oh, no, I, I don't think so. I should hope not. Now, get ready for tea, both of you. Or there'll be no food this night. Go on, sit down. Pitbull, chap. You all right? Joe, I thought I heard something out of the marsh just now. And so you did. There it goes again. There's a convict escaped last night. And now they're firing warning for another. Where does the firing come from, Joe? From the prison outspit across the marsh. Joe, who gets put in the hulks? Well, it... That's the way with this boy. Answer him one question and he'll ask you a dozen directly. People get put in the hulks because they murder and rob and do all sorts of bad. And they usually begin by asking questions. Now eat your tea and get to bed. Uh, oh, here you are, boy. Well, how's your package, boy? There's a pork pie, sir. Hold on. You brought no one with you? Oh, no, sir. Mm. I believe you. You'd be a fierce young hound if you joined Aunt a wretched varmint as near death and dungle as this one is. There's another one, you know. I mean, escaped. What? They were firing the cannon, cannon last night. No. Where is that file, boy? Yes, sir. I took it from the forge. Oh, good. I'll get this anchor off me leg and then... All right, boy. Go on home. Go on home. Deuce have you been? Here it's Christmas Day with Uncle Pumblechew come for Christmas dinner and you wandering about the marshes. Now get inside. I'm sorry. Merry Christmas, Uncle Pumblechew. Uh, boy, you have missed Grace. Sit down. Go on, Uncle Pumblechew. And may we be truly grateful. Amen. You hear that, Pip? Be grateful. Especially be grateful to them what brought you up by hand, meaning Mrs. Joe. Light or dark meat, Uncle? Uh, both. Why is it that the young are never truly grateful? Uh, gravy, please. And naturally vicious. Uh, a little more stuffing, Mrs. Joe, if you please. Now take pork. Many a moral for the young might be deduced from pork. Yeah, yeah Pip, would you like some... Uh... Uncle Pumplechilke's talking. Swine were put before the young as an example of gluttony. What is detestable in a pig is even more so in a boy. More pudding, Uncle. Thank you, Mrs. Joe. A gravy pitbull chap. Ah, yes. Be grateful, boy. Consider the lesson of pork. If you had been born such... You would not be enjoying yourself with your elders and betters. Rolling in the lap of luxury, brought up by hand by our gracious hostess here. 
Uh, uh, Mrs. Joe, it is time for the pie. Of course, Uncle Pompachook. Pip, run and fetch Uncle's savoury pork pie. Pork pie? Go on, Pip. It's in the pantry. Pip, go and fetch Uncle Pumplechook's pie. Open in the name of the king. Corporal, produce him handcuffs. Handcuffs? Oh, don't take me, sir. I didn't mean to. Oh, here, boy. I want the blacksmith. Uh, I be the blacksmith. Ah. You see, we've had an accident with these handcuffs, and the lock goes wrong. Uh, you are pursuing escaped convict sergeant? Yes, two. They're known to be out on the marshes. Anybody seen them? Mm, no, no, no. No, no, no. You, boy? Me? You seen any vicious convicts on the marsh? Oh, no, sir. No, sir. Well, how about it, Blacksmith? Uh, yes, Sergeant, I, I was, uh, like, to wondering. Maybe we could, I mean, Pitbull chap here and me, maybe... Oh, we... want to come along to watch the daring capture of two vicious and desperate varmints by His Majesty's own royal foot, eh? Uh, well, yeah. Come along, then, and welcome. Uh, you, you, sir? You said uh, two convicts? Yes. And desperate? Mad dogs, both of them. Well, I think perhaps I might stay to protect Mrs. Joe, the home guard, you well, know. Well, then, uh, you, blacksmith, get busy on them handcuffs. Uh, come around to the fort, Sergeant. You, out in the yard. Stand, easy. Now, then, let's be at it. Joe. Joe. I hope we shan't find them. Aye, Pip, I'd give a shilling if they'd cut and run. Here, Joe Gargery, if you bring that boy back with his head blown to bits, don't look to me to put it together again. You all right, Pip, old chap? Keeping up? I'm all right, Joe. Hold. Arky, what's that? Listen. Run away! Oh! It's them. Hey there. Forward. Quick. Do you suppose it's them, Joe? Uh, no way. Helen. Run away. Grab onto them, Corporal. Pull them apart. Come on, surrender, you two. Get them apart. Get the handcuffs on them. Mind it. I took them. I'll give them up to you. Get those irons. Oh, he tried to murder me. Take notice, God. He tried to murder me. Not likely. He's a gentleman, he is. I wouldn't want the Oaks to lose their gentleman. I got clear of the ship single-handed. You don't find no iron on my leg, but I come back when I heard he got off. You, you, you think I'd let him make a tool of me again? After the way it went when we was tried together? Like those torches. We got a long, wet march back to the Oaks. Here we are. Oh! See, Blacksmith, there's the boat from the Elks. Sergeant. What do you want, Varmint? I want to say something about this escape, so no people will be laid under suspicion. I took some food from the village over there, from the Blacksmith. Well, no fancy, Pip. Leftovers, it was, and a pork pie. Blacksmith, I'm sorry to say I've ate your pie. Uh, God knows you're welcome to it. We don't know what you've done, but we we wouldn't have you starved to death for a poor, miserable feather creature. What a spit. All right, Blacksmith. You're clear. Now, get moving, you two varmints. The wonder of the convicts and the pilfered pork pie soon died away 
The days stretched into weeks and then to months. And then one day my sister, Mrs. Joe, burst in from marketing, followed closely by Uncle Pumblechook. Well, where is he? Where is that boy? If he isn't grateful this day, he never will be. Which is extremely likely. Vicious, naturally vicious. What's all this now? Miss Avisham wants him. He's to go and play there. And he'd better play or I'll work him. Miss Avisham of yon big house? Aye, the rich old lady. She wants him to play. Hmm, I wonder how she got to know Pip. Noodle said she knew him. It was I recommended him. He'll make the boy's fortune. She's that rich. Boy, be forever grateful to all friends, but especially unto them what raised you by hand. He's got to go right now with Uncle Pumblechook. Go on, Pip. Goodbye, Joe. God bless you, people, chap. Uh, very well. Let us be off. Uncle Pumblechook's conversation consisted of a running sum, which I was to answer while riding along in his high cart. Seven times nine? Uh, Sixty-three. And four less three times two. Then we approached times the great six. house. It was old brick. And dismal. Some of the windows had been walled up, and of those that remained, all the lower ones were heavily barred. We pulled up in front of the gate. And fourteen? Three hundred and forty-eight. Shall I ring, Uncle? By all means, and at twenty-seven? The bell pull is quite stiff. (coughs) There. Boy, and twenty-seven! I'm afraid I've lost count. There's somebody here. Uh, a pumple chuck. Quite right. Well? This is Pip. This is Pip, is it? Come in, Pip. Uh, hum, hum. Oh, did you wish to see Miss Havisham? If Miss Havisham wishes to see me. Ah, but you see, she doesn't. Come along, boy. Pip, uh, uh. Let your behavior here be a credit unto them that brought you up by hand. Come along, boy. Miss Havisham is waiting. Don't loiter, boy. Why do you call me boy? You're only as old as me. Don't be impertinent. Mind the step. Oh, don't take the candle, miss. It's dark. Nonsense. Go on, boy. Go in here. There. Pip, ma'am. Pip? Mr. Pumblechook's boy, ma'am. Come nearer, boy. Let me look at you. Come closer, boy. Closer. Yes, ma'am. Look at me. You're not afraid of a woman who has never seen the sun since you were born? No, ma'am. Do you know what I touch here beneath these withered yellowed bridal veils? Your heart, ma'am? Broken. I'm tired. I want diversion, and I've done with men and women. Play, boy. Play, ma'am? I've a sick fancy to see someone play. Play, boy. Well, are you sullen and obstinate, Pip? No, ma'am. I'm very sorry for you. And if you complain of me, I shall get into trouble. But I... I just can't play. Call Estella. Go on, boy. Call Estella at the door. Yes, ma'am. Estella, do you want me, Miss Havisham? 
let me see you play cards with this boy. Why, he's a common laboring boy. Estella, you can break his heart. <laughs> what do you play, boy? At cards. Only beggar my neighbor, miss. Play. What coarse hands he has. And what thick boots. You say nothing of her, Pip. No, ma'am. What do you think of Estella? I don't like to say. Tell me in my ear. I think she's very proud. Anything else? I think she's very pretty. And? I think she's very insulting. I think I should like to go home. And so you shall. When shall I have you here again? Well, ma'am, today is Wednesday. There, there, I know nothing of days of the week. Time stands still here. Come again after six days. Yes, ma'am. Estella, take him out. Let him have something to eat. Come along, boy. In six days, Pip. There, boy. You're to eat here. But you've put the plate on the floor. Of course. Go on. Go on, boy. Eat. Why don't you cry, boy? Because I don't want to. You do. You cry until you're half blind. You're near crying now. Go home, boy. Go home and cry. Joe. Joe. There now, Pip, old chap. She said my hands were coarse and I was common. Well, I don't know about that. You're uncommon in some things. You're uncommon small. Likewise, you're uncommon bright. Joe. I'm dreadfully ignorant. Ah, Pip, there's bound to be a beginning somewhere. Even the king on his throne can't write his acts in print without having begun when he was an unpromoted prince with the alphabet. That's all now, old chap. And let's not say no more about it, hmm? At length, the time came for me to return to Miss Havisham's. And, once again, I followed Estella's flickering candle down the long, shrouded halls of the manor house. Suddenly, she stopped and turned to me. Am I pretty? Yes, miss. I think you're very pretty. Am I insulting? Not so much as you were the last time. I'm not. There! (laughs) Now, you coarse little monster, what do you think of me now? I shan't tell you. Why don't you cry again, you little wretch? Because I'll never cry for you again. (laughs) Go in here, boy. Ah, Pip, the days have worn away, haven't they? Yes, ma'am. Do you see this table, boy? This is where I shall be laid when I'm dead. They shall come and look at me here. Oh, yes, ma'am. What do you think that is on the table? There where the cobwebs are. I... I can't guess, ma'am. It's a cake. A wedding cake. Long before you were born, this cake was brought here. It and I have worn away together. The mice have gnawed at it, and sharper teeth and teeth of mice have gnawed at me. Well, boy, call Estella and play. I returned to Miss Havisham several times a week for eight or ten months. She would sit in the shrouded, dimly lit room and watch Estella and I play at cards. And then one day, she bade me bring Joe Gargery to see her. I was to be apprentice to Joe to learn to be a blacksmith, and Miss Havisham gave me 25 pounds as premium. 
The next day, Uncle Pumblechook took me by the scruff of the neck to be bound apprentice at the town hall. There was a general celebration, and all I remember is that I was not allowed to fall asleep, but was poked awake and told to enjoy myself. The years of my apprenticeship went by in a shower of sparks from the anvil. Hey there, Pip. Give over, give over. There's something wrong, Joe. Enough blacksmithing for the day. Come, clean up, Pip. We're off to the Jolly Bargeman for a pint. <laughs> what larks, eh, Pip? <laughs> ah, pint at the end of the day is the laboring man's right, eh, Pip? <laughs> what? Uh, yes, I, I suppose so, Joe. Uh, Joe, who's that? Who's what? That strange man. He's coming over here. Uh, I never seen him before, Pip. I am looking for a blacksmith by name Joseph or Joe Gargery. I be Joe Gargery. You have an apprentice commonly known as Pip. I'm Pip. Uh, what is it you was wanting with me and Pip? Hmm? My name is Jaggers and I'm a lawyer in London. Joseph Gargery, I am the bearer of an offer to relieve you of this young fellow's apprentice. What? You would not object to releasing him for his own good? You would not want any payment? Heaven forbid I should stand in Pip's way. Heaven forbidding is pious, not to the point. The answer is no. Well, the communication that I have concerning this young fellow is that he has great expectations. Eh? I'm instructed to tell him that he will come into a handsome property. Well, fancy that. And further, it is the desire of the present owner of the property that he be immediately removed from here and be brought up as a gentleman. A gentleman? Now, Mr. Pip, if you have any objections, this is the time to state it. Uh, objection? Why, no, no, of course not. Well, I should think not. You are to understand that the name of your benefactor remains a profound secret, and you may not inquire into the hidden identity. I, I understand. Good. When will you come to London? London? Why, why whenever you say, sir. First, you will procure suitable clothing. I shall leave you 20 guineas. And I shall expect you in London, Mr. Pitt, this day week. And be prompt. I cannot abide a laggard. I've just been ordering a new suit, Uncle Pumblechook. And to think that I should have been the signpost to your good fortune. A proud moment, boy. But my benefactor remains a secret. Ah, but to a man of insight, my boy, the mist of secrecy merely floats away. Well, I, I must be off now, Uncle. When you come into your property, if you feel you must invest certain sums in an established corn and seed business... I, I remember, Uncle. Pumblechook. And always be grateful, boy. Grateful to your friends and them what brung you up by hand. Well, Pip? I'm going to London tomorrow, Miss Havisham, and I... I've come to take my leave of you. Yes, I've seen Mr. Jaggers Pip. I know all about it. So you're adopted by a rich person? Yes, Miss Havisham. And Mr. Jaggers is made your guardian? Yes, Miss Havisham. Well, you have a promising career before you. Be good, Pip, and obey Mr. Jaggers' instructions. Goodbye now, Pip. Goodbye, Miss Havisham. <laughs> <laughs> 
Goodbye. The light was just beginning to break over the marshes when the London stage rattled into our village. The horses were stamping and snorting with the cold, and the top riders were bundled to the ears like so many caterpillars waiting for spring. All up the London stage! Well, goodbye, Pipple chap. Us has ever been the best of friends. Oh, goodbye, eh? Joe. <laughs> God bless you, Pipple chap. God bless you. Ever the best of friends, Pipple. high swaying coach rattled off down the road and for a while I turned and looked at the winking lights of our village and the mist rising off the marsh then I turned and looked forward the London road stretched out under the horses feet the mists had all solemnly risen now and the world lay spread before me From Hollywood, the NBC Theater is bringing you a radio version of Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. If you are interested in supplementing your enjoyment of these NBC Theater productions with home study under college supervision, be sure to listen to the announcement at the close of this program. And be with us each week at this time for the most adult dramatic fair in radio. In the weeks ahead, we plan to present such exciting works as At Heaven's Gate by Robert Penn Warren. The Track of the Cat by Walter Van Tilburg Clark, Sons and Lovers by D.H. Lawrence, and Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce. Our production of Great Expectations will continue from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification. After hours of jolting, the coach finally clattered over the London cobblestones. I climbed down and set off for Mr. Jagger's office. I found it in a gloomy street, between an apothecary shop and a second-hand store with the distinct odor of stolen goods. I went in and asked after Mr. Jagger's. He's not in. He's at court. Am I addressing Mr. Pip? Oh, yes. You ought to wait. I'm Wemmick, Mr. Jagger's clerk. Well, I, I don't mean to be curious, Mr. Wemmick, but... Who are those odd gentlemen lounging about outside? Huh. No gentleman there. That chap with one eye, armed robbery. Mm. The small man with the spectacles, coining. And the two dark chaps, suspicion of forgery. And they're all waiting for Mr. Jaggers? Yes. If anyone can get them off, it'll be Jaggers. And they know it. Hold on, Mr. Pip. There he is now, coming round from Newgate. Oh, Mr. Jaggers. Ah, there, Mr. Pip. The pleasant journey? Well, yes, sir. We've but... made all arrangements. Your anonymous benefactor wishes you to become a proper gentleman. You will draw an allowance and you will deal with the tradesman that I select. Thus, I shall be able to see if you are outrunning the constable. Wemmick, show Mr. Pip to his lodgings. Well, I wondered if I might ask. No Mr. question, sir, none at all. Wemmick, take him away.
Mr. Wemmick conducted me to Bernard's Inn, where I was to lodge, and introduced me to Mr. Herbert Pocket, who was to be my tutor and companion. Perhaps I should have been more surprised when I discovered Pocket was Miss Havisham's cousin. Ah, oh, yes, Pip, she's a tartar. Miss Havisham? Oh, no, no, I meant Estella. You know she's been brought up by Miss Havisham to wreak vengeance on the entire race of man. Forever why? Bless me, don't you know? That's quite a long and gruesome story, but we shall have it with dinner. And if you like, I'll begin your instruction into the manners of gentlemen. Uh, shall we go down to the tavern? As we ate, young Mr. Pocket told me all he knew of the history of Miss Havisham's strange household interspersing his narrative with good-humoured correction. <laughs> I say, Pip, I might mention in passing that it is not the custom in London to put the knife in the mouth, for fear of accidents, you know. So the spoon is not generally used overhand, but uh, under. <laughs> he commenced his story with the soup and finished it with the tea. He told of how Miss Havisham, a wealthy heiress, had gone head over heels for a young gentleman many years ago. The wedding day was set... The huge cake baked, but Miss Havisham's bridegroom was never seen again. And she stopped time in her house at the moment when that dread news arrived. She lived, as I had seen her, in the yellowing ruin of her bridal dress, with the great cake rotting on the cobweb table. And Estella was adopted to provide her revenge on mankind. And, uh, in closing, Pip, might I add that it is not considered necessary to balance a wine glass on the bridge of the nose to drain it? <laughs> Here you are, Mr. Pip, your third month's allowance, 20 pounds. Mr. Wemmick, I, I don't know what to make of Mr. Jagger's manner. He, he seems so inquisitorial. Oh, you don't mean to. He's deep. Deep. As Australia. Them two knew it. Them on the wall. Oh, you, you mean the uh, the masks? Are they good likenesses? Young man, them is the faces themselves, cast directly after the individuals in question was cut down off Newgate Gallows. Oh. They was clients of Mr. Jagger's what didn't pay a fee. Now, you take his housekeeper. His housekeeper? She's a lioness tamed, she is. A lioness tamed. She'll give you an idea of what kind of man is Mr. Jaggers. And so the months wore away. I wore my clothes with nonchalance, had my boots blacked, and used proper manners when eating. I had become a gentleman. Then news came from Joe. My sister had died and he was to come to London to visit me. I must confess that, could I have kept him away by paying money, I would have done so. For now I I was ashamed of his blacksmith trade and his rough speech. Here, big ball chap! <laughs> Joe, Joe, how are you? Here, give me your hat. Hey, hello, little chap. My, how you've grown, huh? And, uh, gentle folks. Uh, Joe, uh, this is Herbert Pocket. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Godfrey. Uh, your servant, sir. I, I hope you two gentlemen has got your elf. Uh, sit down, Joe, sit down, and, uh, give me your hat. Ah, that's all right, sir. I'll hold it. Tea or coffee, Mr. Godfrey? Yeah, thank you, sir. 
Which Joe? Which? Yeah, whichever, sir. Now, now, Joe, how can you call me, sir? Well, it was not my intention which I had, sir, to break bread with two gentlemen. I I come with a message from Miss Aversham. She wanted me to say Mrs. Stella is home and would be glad to see you. Now I... I I'll be gone. Oh, no, Joe, not now. Aye, Pip, old chap, I... I'm going back where I belong. I, I, I mean to be forged. I, if you should wish to see me, I, I'll be at the old anvil in the old leather apron. Joe Gargery. Blacksmith, that's me. Well, God bless you, Pip, old boy. God bless you, my dear Pip. I, I, I won't bother you no more. The next day I went down from London to Miss Havisham's. Her door was open as I approached. The tall wax candles threw long shadows over the dusty floor, and the yellow faded bridal gown floated around her withered face. Come in, Pip, come in. Miss Havisham. You've not seen my guest. Good morning, Mr. Pip. Uh, oh, it can't be Estella. Do you find her much changed, Pip? She was proud and insulting, and you wanted her to go home. Do you remember? <laughs> That was quite long ago. Is he changed, Estella? Very much. Then you shall walk in the corridor as you did before. Go now. I'm tired. You made me cry there in the corridor the first day I met you. Did I? You don't remember? You must know I have no heart, Pip. Oh, Estella. There, Pip. Is she not beautiful? Do you admire her? Everyone must who sees her, Miss Havisham. Love her, Pip. Love her. If she favors you, love her. If she wounds you, love her. If she tears your heart to pieces, love her. Love her, love her. Herbert! Herbert, wake up! Uh, wake up! Oh, oh, Pip, when did you return to London? Herbert, I'm in love. I adore Estella. I see. Have you any idea of Estella's views? <laughs> well, she's thousands of miles off. And well off, my dear Pip. Remember, she's been bred as a sharp knife to wound the soul of all men. She's the extension of Miss Havisham's mad rage. I know, Herbert, I know. But nothing drowns the memory of her. Oh, she's beautiful, Herbert, and I... <laughs> well, I love her. Mr. Pip. It's my 21st birthday, Mr. Jaggers. Congratulations. What do you suppose you're living at the rate of? If you please, sir. At the rate of? Oh, well, I, I'm not sure, sir, but is my benefactor to be made known to me today? No. Here, sir, is 500 pounds, a handsome sum of money. You consider it so? Why, sir... Answer I... the question. Yes, sir. You shall live at the rate of 500 pounds per annum until the donor of the whole appears. But will my benefactor appear soon? That is a question I must not be asked. Or I may say more. As a lawyer, it would compromise me, sir, and I am never compromised. (laughs) 
Estella was the success of the season in London. She had admirers without end. I then knew that Estella was to wreak Miss Havisham's vengeance upon men, and I, with the rest, must suffer. Then we returned to Miss Havisham, who was particularly pleased to see Estella, but she struck the floor impatiently with her stick when the girl pulled away. What girl? Are you tired of me? Only tired of myself. Speak the truth, you ingrate. You're tired of me. I told you no, that should suffice. You cold, cold heart. What? Do you reproach me for being cold? Look at you. her. So hard and thankless on the hearth where she was reared. I am what you have made me. I owe everything to you. But what would you have of me? Love. Oh, you cannot ask me to return what you never gave me. Did I never give her love? Burning, sharp, painful love. And she speaks thus of me. Let her call me mad. Mad? No. Who knows better the steady memory, the set purpose that has driven you? Did I not sit at this very hearth and learn the lesson from your lips and from your eyes? So proud, so proud. Who taught me to be so? Who praised me when I learnt my lesson? So hard. Who taught me to be hard? But to me, to be proud and hard to me, Estella, to me. I cannot think why you are not reasonable. I have remembered your wrongs and your teachings. I have never shown any weakness that I can charge myself with. Would it be weakness? To return my love. I am the soul you made. You formed me cold and proud and incapable of love. Well, I will follow your lessons. I will torture and punish and madden, but love I cannot. <laughs> When I returned to my lodgings in London, I could hear the wind prying at the corners of the building, trying to get in. I climbed to the third floor and unlocked my door. A single candle threw dancing shadows about the room, and standing in the center of the light stood a massive, gray-haired man, browned and hardened by exposure to the weather. It is you. It is, Pip. I've come. I... I pray, sir, what is your business? I've been waiting for you. There's no one I... What do you mean, breaking into my room? Explain yourself. Oh, you don't remember. A certain night, a cold and wet night with a fog rising off the marsh. Wait, I... And the churchyard stones. Do you remember a poor, shivering varmint? A convict escaped to the hulks. You? The man in the churchyard? The convict? Aye, and you brought me food, and never a word did you spill to any man. Do you remember now, dear boy? You acted noble, Pip. Your hand, dear boy. Stay. If you have come here to thank me, it was not necessary. I'll not turn you out, but surely you must understand... Hey, Pip? ...that I cannot renew that chance meeting with you. But you're wet, and you look weary... Will you drink something before you go? No, boy. I'll not drink. How are you living? Do you need money? I've done wonderful well across the ocean. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, <clears throat> might I be bold to ask how you've done since you was out under marshes? I? I've been chosen to succeed to some property. 
Might a mere varmint ask, whose property? Well, I... I don't know. And a guardian? Some lawyer, maybe? Might it be with a first initial J? I... Might his name then be Jaggers? You... How did I find you, you ask? <laughs> I wrote to this Mr. Jaggers. But it... it can't be. Yes, Pip, dear boy. <laughs> I've made a gentleman of you. Uh... It's me what's done it. Oh, no. Yes, I swore that time if ever I got rich, it should be for you. Aye, it was me dragged you away from the blacksmith forge to make a gentleman out of you. I was a convict, Pip, but I made you a gentleman. Me, chained and beaten and transported halfway around the world to Australia. <laughs> Who else should it be, dear boy? Well, I, I had thought someone else... I don't know what to say. Oh, that's all right, dear boy. You weren't prepared like I was. But now, uh, where will you put me? Do you mean to sleep? Yes, long and sound. But looky here. Caution. Caution? Nay, it's death, boy. Death if I'm caught in England, Pip. Jaggers can delve through his law books till his eyes rots. But if I'm taken, I'll dance at a rope's end at Newgate Prison. Mr. Jaggers, I must speak to you. Now, Pip, now, Pip, be careful. Don't commit yourself. Don't commit anyone. I only want to find out if a person named Abel Magwitch, an ex-convict, is the benefactor so long unknown to me. Yes. That is the man. In Australia. And only he? Only he. But I had always supposed it was Miss Havisham. I'm not responsible for that, Pip. Not a particle of evidence. Then it... it is true. Take only the evidence, Pip. This Magwitch, in Australia, communicated with me and intimated that he would return to England. This would be an act of felony, and in this, sir, I cannot commit myself. Of course not, Mr. Jaggers. I shall want nothing more to do with the entire business. Do you understand that, Pip? Nothing. What wind blows you down here, Pip? I must speak to Estella, Miss Havisham. And I promise it will not displease you. For I am as unhappy as ever you meant me to be. Oh, Pip, really? I've found out who my mysterious patron really is. But that is another secret. It's another secret? Well... But because Mr. Jaggers... Mr. Jaggers is my lawyer. But he was also agent of your patron was coincidence. He has a great many clients. But when I fell into the mistake and assumed that you were my patron, you led me on. Yes. I led you on. Was that kind? Kind? Who am I that I should be kind? Well, then, what else, Pip? The rest is to Estella. Yes, Pip. I love you. You know that I've loved you long and dearly. And so? I should have spoken sooner, but for my long mistake. It made me think that Miss Havisham had meant us at last for one another... But now... I have not asked you to speak, Pip. I know. I shall be poor again, Estella. I cannot take any further gifts from my benefactor. But still, I love you. Pip, when you say you love me, 
I know what you mean as a, as a form of words, but nothing more. I've tried to warn you of this, have I not? I so hoped you didn't mean it. You were so young, so beautiful. Pip, I shall tell you the truth. I am to be married. Married? You know him. Bentley Drummle. Drummle? But he's a brute, Estella, a stupid brute. Or to fling yourself away on a man Do like... not be afraid of my being a, a blessing to him. I bring him nothing. As he brings me nothing. Estella. Oh, come, will you cry as you did when we first met? Are you still that common village boy? Oh, Pip, you will get me out of your thoughts in a week. Nay, Estella. You have been in my every flash of fancy since I was a boy. Miss Havisham, this is indeed your revenge. A cruel, blind, senseless revenge for a wrong I never did you. Pip, I... I can hear no more. God forgive you, Miss Havisham, for I cannot. When I returned to London, I found a note at my lodgings from Wemmick, Mr. Jagger's clerk. My benefactor's ancient enemy, the one he had fought with on the marsh, had discovered he was back in England. We spirited him out and moved him to a room on the waterfront. From there, we planned to slip him on a packet boat bound for France and safety. There we waited. Then one night I was summoned to Mr. Jagger's to dine. I looked up just as his housekeeper glided into the room... And I started, for staring back at me from that hard and weathered face were Estella's eyes. After I left, I cornered Wemmick and finally got the truth. Oh, she was up for murder, she was, and Jagger's got her off. It was over a man, and there was talk that she'd done away with a child. Never proved, though. This child, was it a girl? Uh, said to have been. Most mysterious, Mr. Pip, most mysterious. That woman, she's a wild beast tamed. And Jaggers, he's the man what done the taming. So, Mr. Pip. You have heard the story of Miss Havisham's adopted daughter. More than that, I know her father. What? Magwitch. Magwitch, the convict from Australia. He told how you defended your housekeeper, his wife. He told me of the child that disappeared. He thinks her dead. I am a busy man, Mr. Pitt. The truth, Mr. Jaggers. I must have the truth. Well, then. I'll put a case to you. Mind, I admit nothing. Put the case that a woman, such as you describe, a murderer had her child concealed, and at the same time her legal adviser held a trust to find a child for an eccentric, rich lady to adopt. I follow you, sir. This legal adviser has seen children solemnly tried at the criminal bar. He knew of them whipped, tortured, transported, growing up for the chain and the hangman. Put the case that he saw one pretty little child that could be saved. Understand, Pip? I admit nothing. I understand. Now, Pip, for whose sake would you reveal the secret? For the child? Tell her of a murderous and felonous parents? For you, who loved the child? Nay, sir. Nay, they oh, I'd be hanged for it. But remember, sir, that I admit nothing. 
Now, Wimmick, bring in those ledgers. That night, the tide was running fast to the sea, and the packet boat for Rotterdam would sweep by. We planned to row to midstream, hailing the steamer as she drew abreast. We're in midstream. Aye, slack off. Keep her steady. You'll never know, dear boy, the feeling of freedom. Not like me, what is known the lock and the chain. You'll be safe out of England in a few hours. Now remember, when the steamer comes, you're a merchant who must get to Rotterdam. And when... Yes, what is it? There's a four-oared galley coming up from Temple Stairs. Oh, no matter. Here's the steamer beyond the bend. Swing the boat round. Now, get ready to hail her. She's coming full steam. The four-oared galley, it's closing in on us. Oh, what does he want? Halt in the king's name! Pull, Herbert! You've got to return hundreds here! They've come for me. Abel Magwitz, I arrest you in the king's name. Get hold of their boat! They'll not take me! Look out! Look out! Look out! The steamer! The steamer! And in the name of His Majesty the King, I direct that you, Abel Magwitch, convict returning to England after being sentenced to eternal exile, be taken to Tyburn Hill, and there, in the presence of all just men and women, be hanged by the neck until dead. May God have mercy on your soul. Bring on the next one. Is it, is that you, dear boy, Pip? I came as soon as it was time. <laughs> well, I'll fool them. They'll not be hanging me. <coughs> that steamer battle finished me. Are you in much pain today? I'll not come... Oh, oh. I'm up, Pip. But I've seen my boy a gentleman. Oh, dear Magwitch. Can you hear me? You had a child once, whom you lost. I... She lives. She is a lady, and is very beautiful. She is very beautiful, and I love her. Babe... His gnarled face was softer, and the massive hands fell to his side. The long chains and irons that bound him to his cot moved no more, and Magwitch was at last at peace. I wandered about the city then for days, 
The night on the river and the days that followed had brought on a violent fever. A swirling vapor clouded my mind, and men came in and out of it as ghosts. And then all seemed to look like... like Joe Gargery. Easy now, Pip, old chap. Joe. Is it... is it really Joe? Aye. Old Joe himself. Oh, Joe. Easy now. You're back at the forge, safe and sound. Oh, you, you know who my patron was, Joe. It, it wasn't Miss Havisham at all. I, Pip, I know. And I've sore news for you. Miss Havisham, she, she caught that bride gown of hers in the fire when huh? the young girl went to be wed. She's gone now, Pip, old chap. Oh. Gone to peace, poor lady. Oh, Joe, I, I've no money now. And I've a mountain of debts in the city. Yeah, now I've got plenty for all. Oh, no. No, I... I shall be off with Herbert Pocket. He, he has a place in a merchant's firm. I shall leave England, Joe. But but I'll come back someday. Then, what larks, eh? Aye, old chap. What, what larks? It was eleven years before I returned to England before I saw the flat marshlands again and the tiny buildings of Joe's Forge. That night, as the light slid away, I wandered over to the village where Miss Havisham's great house had stood. There was no house now. The ground was bare, and the ivy climbed over the few remaining bricks and remnants of the walls. A cool, silvery mist veiled the twilight. And as I turned to leave... I saw a dark figure wandering in the ruins. For a moment it seemed to be the veiled form of Miss Havisham. But then I came closer and saw it was Estella. Pip! Oh, I, I wonder you knew me. I am greatly changed. Your eyes are sadder, Estella. They used to flash pride and scorn. I... I have often thought of you, Pip. You did marry? Yes. He is dead. I have been broken, Pip. Broken and bent into a better shape. Tell me, Pip. Tell me we are friends before we part. And more, Estella. Oh. You said, God forgive you when you left me, Pip. Tell me so again, and I shall be glad to part. Glad to part? Oh, it is a painful thing, Estella. Be as good to me as you once were, Pip. Tell me we are friends. We are friends, Estella. We shall be always. I took her hand in mine, and we went out of that ruined place. The ivy caught at us as we passed through the gate, but the tangled vine slipped away and... We went forward. The evening mists were rising now. The marshland lay open before us. And in all the broad expanse of tranquil light they showed to me, I saw no shadow of another parting from her. You have been listening to Great Expectations, an NBC theater production of the Charles Dickens novel. 
If you wish to increase your knowledge and appreciation of literature, we suggest that you might enjoy the college-supervised courses now being offered in connection with the NBC Theater. For full information, write to NBC Theater in care of one of the following universities or colleges. The University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. The University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Kansas State Teachers College, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Washington State College, Pullman, Washington. The University of Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. Texas College of Arts and Industries, Kingsville, Texas. Or Brooklyn College, Brooklyn, New York. You also have a chance to win a set of the famous Encyclopedia Britannica. Several of the universities and colleges offering these courses are giving the Encyclopedia as prizes to the students doing the best work. Enroll in a supervised course and you may be one of the fortunate ones to win the Encyclopedia Britannica. Be with us at the NBC Theater next week for a first radio production of John Dos Passos, Manhattan Transfer, and the following week for The Ides of March by Thornton Wilder. Great Expectations was adapted for the NBC Theater by Ernest Canoy. Our cast included Terry Kilburn as Pip, Donald Morrison as Magwitch, John Ramsey Hill was Young Pip, George Pembroke was Joe, Phyllis Morris was Mrs. Joe, Alec Harford was Pumblechuck, Raymond Lawrence was Compasson, Constance Cavendish as Stella, Normal Varden was Miss Havisham, Ramsey Hill was Jaggers, Ben Wright was Wemmick, and Hugh Thomas was Pocket. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of the NBC Theater is Andrew C. Love. This program came to you from Hollywood. What's on NBC today? Well, for an enjoyable afternoon of relaxing entertainment, stay tuned to NBC for the Phil Harris, Alice Faye Show, and Theater Guild on the Air, today starring Peter Lawford. You'll find the best comedy for all the family on the Harris Faye Show, and an intriguing story on Theater Guild, today on NBC. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.